We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week, we'll be discussing esports teams. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, as all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Mike Schwartz. Mike is the head of esports for OG Esports. Prior to that, he worked at Immortals Gaming, the LA Valent Overwatch team, and COG as a player development coach. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Justin. My pleasure. So to start, tell us about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played, and how did you get involved in the esports and gaming business? Yeah, uh, I would. I'll probably describe myself as a uh, as a lifelong gamer. So I started off playing Duke Nukem with my dad when I was like six years old on the PC. Uh, maybe not the best, uh, you know, parental guidance there, but uh, it got me involved in, in loving PC stuff. Um, and been kind of picking up ever since. I would say my first like esports experience was uh, was StarCraft Brood War. My cousins got me into that, and uh, I logged thousands of games in that going through uh, grade school and, and high school. So, um, you know, I've, I probably touched on every major title, you know, like your RuneScape, your World of Warcrafts. Um, you know, loved all the Blizzard titles and everything. Um, but yeah, StarCraft was kind of the one that kicked me into the esports side. Um, played a lot of StarCraft two when that came out. It was super hyped and. Thought I was actually good at the game until I started <laughs> playing a couple amateur tournaments and not doing so well. Um, but then once once StarCraft II kind of died off, you know, that's when I really found League of Legends, and that's what really drove me into the space. Um, you know, you had the LCS, you could tune in, you could watch it. It was much more accessible to your mainstream audience as opposed to, you know, watching uh, watching like Star League in in Korea and stuff and GSL. So uh, once I got into League, you know, that kind of picked up momentum, and I've been doing that ever since. Um, so I still play relatively regularly even though i'm on a dota team now um <laughs> but uh but yeah the league league was kind of the, the thing that really got me going into into mainstream esports so how'd you kind of transition from you know a spectator and player to <laughs> then working on the pro side uh, a lot of luck i think is the the key factor there so uh you know the the story i like to tell is you know i was going to going to college was working to go to law school actually that was the plan um was actually working with um writing my senior thesis on how um, transformative use would impact uh, streaming on Twitch. That was kind of a big thing for me. Uh, trying to see how fair use would develop as a streaming and, you know, the creator economy would grow. So wrote a paper on that and, um, you know, was looking really just to do more like law and entertainment IP jobs and kind of segue that into the, the video game side. But I found a post on Reddit at like two in the morning <laughs> one day looking for a player development coach. And I was like, you know what? why not apply? And this is around Christmas 2016. So just shot an application out. And I was like, yeah, you know, if I hear back, great. If not, deposits ready for law school. So 
um, heard back around the holidays, uh, did some interviews with, um, it was Devin Nash's CEO, uh, CEO at the time and talked to Zix, who was the coach. Um, I guess I interviewed well enough and uh, flew out in January to go be the player development coach for CLG. Wow. So, right. It's like door A or door B. You go to law school and you, yeah. you're working with Justin or you're, you know, openness and jumping to CLG. So what kind of influenced you to kind of choose one over the other? Uh, you know, I think it was just like a practical thing. Uh, when I took uh, like law school is always going to be there. You know, LSAT scores are good for a few years. And I figured, you know, worst case scenario, it's, it's just good experience. Right. If I wanted to, I could go to CLG. If it didn't work out a year later, I could just reapply and go to school a year later. It's pretty common. I already t- took a gap year from mm-hmm. college before going to school just to do some normal work and, you know, pay off the crippling student loans. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I figured law school is always there. So I was like, why not take the chance? There's no real downside to it. So my parents were a little disappointed, I would say, but uh, it worked out for the best. It definitely did. So, you know, tell us about OG esports a little. What are the games that they compete in? Yeah. So OG uh, most famously is known for their Dota 2 roster, uh, which won the international twice. Also won, I think we're at six majors now, uh, you know, so very successful in the space. You know, some of the most legendary figures in the Dota space have been, uh, you know, through here, no tail Seb, uh, you know, Anna Topshin Jarex, the, the winning roster. Um, so a lot of the, you know, the fame is there. And then we also have a Counter-Strike team. So that's been around since about 2020. So we've had that for three years. Um, those are the main two games we, we stay in. We've had a Valorant team previously before franchising. But uh, right now we're really just focused on those two titles. So what's your role with them? And what's kind of your day-to-day like? Day-to-day, um, you know, ask me any different day. <laughs> I think we'd do something, uh, you know, if it's in the offseason, I'm doing roster moves, right? We're doing contracts. We're negotiating. We're trying to build the rosters out. Um normal day-to-day you know it could be working with content teams to figure out the strategy for how we want to tell the stories of our, our players and our, our growth throughout the scene um could be working with partners traveling to events um, you know trying to develop and push the commercialization of, of what we're trying to do so literally any of that could happen on any given day i mean yesterday it was contracts and transfers today it's uh working with content strategy you know tomorrow hopefully i get another day off but uh, you know meetings 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 and just an internal alignment before before the christmas holiday so um all that every single day and talking to players, just catching up with the coaching staff, seeing how the performance is going. So all of that plus, uh, plus more. Amazing. So do you guys have um, streamers and content creators in addition to competitive players or? Yeah. So we, we've had some, but I think with the streamers and creators, you know, we, we look at them less as a, a full service roster. You know, we don't leverage it as like a talent agency. We use them for specific activations. So um, we did the Seattle and, and Lisbon hubs, which are around uh, the international. Uh, for for Dota 2, uh, and we had um, Gorks, who's a famous streamer for for Dota. Uh, you know, and he activated around around some of those things. But um, you know, we really like to tie these in with specific activations. So if we're doing these like post event um, shows, then we'll bring some influencers in. But nobody really on the roster full time to just like be a variety streamer or something. Is there some interest in that? Is it just not really fit into what you guys are working on. Um, there's definitely interest. I think, again, it has to fulfill kind of a specific purpose for us. Um, just having somebody on the roster to push numbers isn't something that we're super interested in. Um, we're a competitive first organization, you know, esports is the focus. So as we're looking at how can a streamer or an influencer help us push that narrative, I think that's the important part. Um, and generally, you know, you want to leverage the players brands that you have, as opposed to just bringing in external ones, because it just makes more sense. Definitely. Interesting. So when you're scouting a potential professional that you might sign, what do you look for? How do you kind of determine who you might work with? Yeah, I think when you're looking at the scouting aspect of uh, you know the esports side, a lot of it kind of comes down to like the coaches and, and the staff that are working there, and even the players that you have already. Because you know, 
as good as I am at Dota, um, which I'm not, the you know, the players, the ones who are going to see the other talent in the in, in their pub games and other matches, are going to look at what they're doing. The coaches are going to be evaluating and saying like, okay, where are we weak? What can we improve on? Um, you know, what do we see in these new players that are that are coming up? Um, and you know, really relying on them. So I think for the actual skill set, you know, it's kind of what you have already, and then building out from there. If you're looking at the kind of like the non-specific game skills, you know, you want a decent personality, somebody who's like willing to put in the work and effort. So um, you need people who are aligned with the vision of what you want to accomplish. You know, for OG, it's it's winning. Um, you know, we don't really settle for less than that in a way. So uh, obviously, you know, we don't win every game, but you know, you won't have the intention to be able to be a winner. So you know, looking for players who have that kind of that mindset and that drive, I think that's the that's part of it. And also how they're viewing their own impact and future in the game right it's not just i want to play pubs and then play on stage and leave it's are you concerned about your brand are you concerned about you know how you're going to be impacted um you know really what are the other intangibles you can find that want to drive you to not just be the best player but also the best person for you know for the team interesting do you generally structure the deals as more long-term or short-term or how does it work with players you work with uh i mean it's pretty variable i think you know most times you know you want to have a little bit more leverage in the deal. So a little bit longer term. I mean, a lot of times you'll see people, they'll announce they'll sign a three-year contract and six months into it, the players are transferred or gone. So, you know, generally I think like two years is a pretty healthy average for a contract length. And in most esports titles, sometimes if you get a long, you know, star player, you might push for the three year, you know, if it's a, a bit of a gamble, maybe you're only doing about a year contract. So something between one and three, you really don't see four unless you're, you know, certain that's kind of like a long-term fit. So yeah, probably around the two-year mark is, is a pretty comfortable number. Interesting. So is there a certain metrics or performance that you look at in order to even be eligible? Like, how do you how do you know when it's, like, time for you to potentially go pro or that teams are going to look at you? Yeah, I think, you know, luckily most um, most games that have, like, a, you know, a popular esports scene, there's some metric, you know, whether it's your MMR, your ELO, et cetera, that once you hit it, like, League of Legends is probably the easy one, right, where you hit you hit challenger, you know, you know, you're in the top 0.001% of players. Um, you'll probably get looked at, you'll be matched in games with other professional players. So you'll see that once you start seeing the trend of you're playing with people who are semi-pro to professional, um, you generally, you know, like, Hey, you're good enough to at least play with them on an average basis. Um, then I think it comes down to how much you impact those people in the games, right? If you're just destroying people in face and pugs, for example, um, and you know players take note of that they might bring it up in a meeting where if you're looking to make roster changes say hey i saw this guy could be good um coach will look at you and then you play on like you know amateur stacks and like the lower tiers like your intermediates etc um if you do well you get promoted you get noticed and obviously the more you're competing at the higher level you're competing with the amateur space and it's hey maybe we'll take a chance on this guy so right so if you're in these pubs and you're just beating up on all the pros there's gonna be a lot of dms coming your way so yeah i mean it's it's a little less i would say like just do good in the your normal matchmaking games right it's obviously going to be you know there's players who are going to win but they never get signed to a team and they're like oh why is this player is good he wins all his matches um but there's also you know your own personality how you interact how you think about the game because you can be mechanically skilled but if you know your concepts of the game and if you're not involved in the scene you'll put your name out there and you're just kind of you know random joe one 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 um and you're doing well in a pub game Eh, maybe that's not going to do it for you. But if you're showing up on podcasts, if you're on a team, if you're leading, if you're making results and impacting more than just yourself by being on a ladder, generally you'll get more you know, positive feedback and input. And maybe coaches will start taking opportunities. So you do have to climb the ladder, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's accessible at least. Interesting. So definitely all you aspiring pros out there, this is 
You got to get out there and grind. And it's more about than just your results. It's also about how you interact, how you impact the game and how you mm-hmm. play your role, right? Like sometimes the best players in the team are just the best role player and just does their job, right? Mm-hmm. The best, the rebounder just rebounds and guards the best player. Like you don't have to be scoring 30 points a game to do your job and your team wins. Scoring thirty points a game will probably help you though if you're uh, if you're doing that. But obviously, if you know if you're not winning and you're not on something, like nobody cares about the tier five team that's got a kid who's putting up thirty kills a game. If you're never advancing out of that and that person's never moving up, that's actually more of a red flag, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you want to put yourself into more challenging situations and you know show up against that adversity when you're competing. So amazing. So how can coaching and player development help esports and you know just mm-hmm. players that are trying to be pro or that are pros already? Yeah, sorry. Was that a was that a question or is that just like a? Yeah, a I mean, do you, yeah, yeah. like is there? You know, I always think you know, coaching. It's like how how much can a gaming coach really help you, right? Like, mm. yeah, I mean, the coaches. Are, I mean, I would say are pretty impactful, right? Because you have things that you just don't have the time of day, right? If you're a pro player, you're generally practicing mechanically speaking, uh, you know, six to eight hours a day, full time job level. Um, and then there's all these things outside of it. You know, are you watching? you know game footage demos of other teams are you looking at the draft and seeing how you know different champions interact are you looking at the items that you can build in the games right um and teams employ full-time analysts for each of these positions uh, you know in a lot of times so when you see something like hey we've reduced the damage on x ability by this percentage and the interaction with this item is now going to be tweaked in this manner where it's reduced by one second you know that can have wide-ranging implications on how the game is actually played it can make a champion or a hero you know from a d-tier pick to an s-tier pick right um the timing and lineups of grenades. Like I sit in the server myself. Sometimes I just get bored and I throw grenades in CS and try to find ones that are working for my games. Right. But that takes an hour or two of time. Um, so having the coaches be able to look at that, review that footage and consolidate that data down to say, Hey, here's the strategy we can use. This is why we think it's good. And then instead of it's actually find it and process it, you can actually just say, Oh, okay, here it is. Let me just check through this real quick. So yeah, coaches definitely help in you know the technical side and also We've seen an evolution of performance coaching, sports psychology, mental health, um, physical therapy, et cetera. Because once you maximize your efficiency, which is not attained right now, but when you start maximizing that efficiency on the in-game side of things, then there's every other factor. And it's like, well, how you feel about the game is going to impact how you perform, how you're physically you know, in shape is going to impact how you perform. So we start looking for those extra one, two, three percents that can add up. And when you're at the elite level, that is the difference, right? Amazing. I think that that's, you know, the great point why you start to see this trend of coaches and analysts and, you know, mental and nutritionists and all these different coaches beyond Mm. just, hey, we're going to go and play together and watch some film because there's more to this. And Mm. I think as an outsider, you know, someone who's not that involved in it, you might not see that initially. It's like, oh, why do I need a coach? Well, as you mentioned, there's so much going on here that it's not really possible for a professional to break down everything mm. while keeping up with what they have to do. Right. And if you're looking at how you practice, right, I think a lot of people historically say, oh, you know, these are gamers are playing 16 hours a day. And it's like, you will get better. If you're playing 16 hours a day, I'm hoping if you're, if you're being at a good level, you're getting better, right? You're seeing more, you're getting more experience. You're seeing more instances. You can kind of build pattern recognition across that time. The goal then as a professional is to optimize that usage of time, because if you're playing 16 hours a day, you will hit a point of burnout at some point. Um, you will get to a level of 
it's not operating as efficiency. So somebody who's practicing for 10 hours at 100% efficiency will be better than somebody practicing 16 hours at 60%. You know, that's just how this will, will work out. Um, ironically, the other end of the curve is if you practice at 16 hours at 100% efficiency, you know, you're basically an Olympic level athlete. Um, and that's the that's the goal, but not a lot of esports teams operate at that level, right? It's They focus on the gameplay because that's the thing that's the base requirements. And then you kind of have to reach a threshold where the gameplay no longer can improve with you know, an exponential increase in time. So if you're doing that and you're getting to like 20% effectiveness on a practice day, then, okay, maybe it's something to say, take an hour practice away and let's go work on our mental health. Let's go work on our, you know, let's go to the gym maybe. Let's do these things because that will give you more results in the longer term. But short term, everyone's just like, yeah, give me 16 hours a day, let's play. And that was the old mindset in, in League of Legends is go to Korea boot camp for 16 hours a day um, and we'll get better. And you will, but in isolated instances, there's a long-term development, you're you're kind of going to lag behind because nobody thinks the reason they're so good at 16 hours a day is because the structure is so good that they're actually practicing at 80% efficiency at that time. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that obviously, as you mentioned, it's been learned over time and it's probably something that, you know, teams have learned over doing this where you did these 16 hour burnout sessions and you realize, mm-hmm. wow, maybe we only did 12 hours and we did an hour of meditation and an hour of, team yeah. bonding we might be in a better situation overall yeah generally i would say like there's you know we used to do back on clg we used to have time where we did meditation right but it was it was a 10 minute thing it was part of a pregame routine that we would do is get a five to ten minute stretch warm up in get the body flowing do uh you know 10 to 15 minutes like visualization or of some kind right didn't need meditation it could be just you know hopping in then maybe a little pregame routine so 30 minutes right to set yourself up in the right mindset to be successful um and that's all you really needed at that time is just doing something that got you in a habit got you in the zone and then you can kind of benchmark out from there it's like okay how is the performance after this um you don't need to have you know this full like because you can overdo it on the other side too if you spend three hours meditating you're not <laughs> really gonna be in the mood to play competitive games you might just be in the mood to go chill on a beach somewhere um so there's there's a balancing act here and you know everyone has their own things and that's also part of working with the players is making sure maybe this guy needs 30 minutes to sit down and visualize maybe this guy only needs 10 maybe this guy needs to do 30 minutes of aim training but this guy needs five so you can just play around with it but as long as everyone on the team understands like different you know avenues to find where we all need to meet to make the team successful so awesome well definitely something that as you mentioned professionals aspiring ones have to get used to and understand that coaching and implementing this coaching is part of it and you know being coachable is a trait right you have to understand Mm -hmm. how to take feedback and implement it and sometimes there's other people that see things differently than you and i think that's the biggest thing that you know a coach brings or any outside person you know Mm -hmm. give you the second pair of eyes to look at something different Mm -hmm. so so as you mentioned you worked at some other esports teams prior to og including immortals and clg so what stuff did you learn at some of those teams that you've now been able to bring over to OG and you know some learnings in general? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, you know, is since I've worked across a, a wide variety of games, right? League of Legends, Overwatch, um, CSGO, uh, basically coming across, you can find similarities in, in all the different game titles, you know. So from a mechanical perspective, I like to think that I have a decent understanding and grasp of like the game itself, which as somebody who went from coaching in and outside the game perspective to management is helpful to relate to all the players because it's not just like, Oh, he's, he's a suit who just knows how to do, you know, Excel spreadsheets and, and whatnot, and write documents. Um, you know, it helps you get that relatability factor. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned is just how to interact with the players at a level that makes them feel 
comfortable, but that I can also convey the needs of the business towards them as well. Because I think a lot of things, their players tend to be isolated from the organization in a way. Not that they're not signed to us and they don't wear our jerseys, but a lot of players don't necessarily understand the implications of like what they're doing for the business. Like, what am I actually paying you for? And like, oh, well, we want to win. It's like, yeah, of course you want to win. That's the baseline. Um, but like, why do I want you to win? What's the impact of you winning? It's like, oh, we can sell more sponsorships. So we can sell, we get more media rights. We can do all these other things. Um, and we can develop and scale the business. And then being able to sit down and convey like, this is what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. This is why it's important. This is why I need you to do these things. This is what the long-term vision is for why we're actually doing all this together. So I think that's probably been the biggest thing I've learned is how to communicate on a day-to-day with the players and how to make them feel comfortable and aligned. It's like, this is the organization's vision and goal as a business. And then kind of lining it up with what they want to do as a player and say, like, this is where we're all going together. It's like, you might have a different way of phrasing it, but this is where we really want to get to is, yeah, we want to win at the end of the day. Here's what winning is to everybody. Um, you know, it's not just lifting a trophy, you know, I mean, most cases it is, and that's always going to be helpful, but um, getting to that point is, you know, it's team effort. So we got to make sure that we're communicating aligning. I think I do a pretty good job of, of doing that with, uh, with all the teams. And how receptive are they? You know, I know players, especially some more younger ones, it's, you know, like you said, they just want to focus on winning and winning tournaments and prize mm-hmm. money. And that's their focus, but that's not always a win for the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, winning for the organization is always going to be a win for everybody. Um, you know, getting a trophy usually comes with more prize money, more sponsors, et cetera. But, um, you know, with the players, I think it just puts things into perspective for them. as like what they're doing and how their careers are going to grow. Um, you know, when you look at it, one of the things I used to talk about with the players was um, I would ask sometimes, like, what are you going to do when I fire you? And it's kind of a weird thing to ask when you sign a player is like, think about the end of your contract when you're signing it. Um, but it's to put things in perspective. You know, I've had players say to me, like, oh, I'm just going to go stream or I'll coach. And I'm like, what credentials do you have to do that? Like, you just got signed to a team as a player and you're already, you're going to coach? Like, what do you know? Um, it's like, oh, I can just stream. It's like, do you know how much rent is? Like, are you going to be able to pay your bills? And then it's like, mm. So putting that into perspective is like, oh, okay, there are other things in my life that are important that I need to make sure I'm cognizant of. And winning as a goal is, is great. That's the pure ambition we want to have. But also there's a realistic, you know, the steps that we need to take to make sure that we're getting to that point. So, hey, don't take things for granted because you could be off the team in six months. Um, it's up to you to perform. Like I, once I sign you, like I don't, I can't hop in the server and I can't click the heads for you. I can't click your, you know, use your keyboard. You got to do that on your own, but you got to take the steps to make sure you're in the best position to do that. I can help you get there, but ultimately it's on, it's on you. So what are you going to do to prevent yourself, you know, to put yourself in the position to be successful? Um, you know, we're doing our job, but again, it's all on the person that we're signing and putting our trust in to actually deliver it. So. Amazing. I think that's a great kind of question where it's like, yeah, are you going to go on Twitter and rip us for dropping you or, you know, if you want to be a streamer, maybe now while you're on the team, you start developing streaming, you start building that into your, you know, repertoire yeah. and what you're doing. It's it's a balance as well. You can't just, um, like, there are times when you need to focus on being the best player in the world, right? But there's an off season for every esport, and I think uh, people fail to utilize that to develop their own brands. Like, it's pretty low effort to make a tweet after a game, you know? Hop on, GG's lost, you know, you could do something, you could add commentary, you can hop on a podcast for an hour. You could do these things that just make sense. Like nobody's going to turn down exposure. It's like if my, one of my players wants to go on a podcast, sure. Like let's let them do that and say, is this going to be helpful for my brand as a player? Is it going to be helpful for the company's brand? Like just understand the best practices to communicate. Like this is what we're doing. Give some insights. It helps everybody in the system. So, um, but a lot of people are just like, nope, I lost. I got to play more. I won. I can take a day off. <laughs> Very simple mindset there. 
So kind of bringing this towards the end, what advice do you have for in talent looking for organizations or trying to go pro? Uh, you know, I would definitely make sure that, you know, you understand kind of the commitment it's going to require from you, like, because uh, it's going to vary. But, if, you know, somebody who's like a gold mid-level player is going to say to me, like, I want to be a pro. It's like, okay, realistically, like, how are you going to get to the next steps, right? Platinum, diamond, challenger, etc. How old are you? Like, how much time are you to commit to this process? Make sure you have a plan to get there. Um, and if you're already at that level where it's like, okay, I'm good enough skill-wise to become a pro, what am I doing to expose myself to that environment? Are you playing in five stacks? Are you playing, um, you know, in tournaments? Are you reaching out to professional players? Are you trying to network? Are you trying to do these things? So um, depending on where you are and how much time you have, those are definitely the key focus points. Um, and then the further along you get is more, how much impact are you making on the community itself, right? Are you putting yourself in positions to be noticed and to be successful? Build your brands, build all these other things up. If you're talented, then you just got to give yourself more opportunities. Like, it's different just because you're the best player in the world doesn't mean you're going to get handed that opportunity. It just increases the odds you will be. So um, that's what I would focus on for you know any aspiring pros is just make sure you have a plan and keep it realistic, um, grow your brand and be as impactful as possible to as many people as you can be because it'll just increase your odds of getting noticed. That's some great advice for everyone out there. Definitely take heed and yeah, it's great to be performing well, but you also have to get noticed and build your own personality. And so people know you and then it's like, oh, wow. He's great. Oh, I saw his Twitter. Like, oh, I follow him. Mm. I saw what he's doing. You know, now it connects, it clicks, and it makes it mm -hmm. a lot more accessible for a team of your level to be like, oh, wow, well, he's doing all the right things. Why wouldn't we want to see what it's about? And, mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, so, what's your favorite part about working in the esports and gaming world? His favorite part, let's see. Uh, I mean, this year might have been traveling, but uh, I would say, you know, the. I think the types of people you meet because it's we're all from just some of these eclectic backgrounds. Like as esports has kind of grown, you find people just from all walks of, of life really coming into it, you know? Um, Cause everyone, when I joined, it was like, are you just five gamers from a basement, like coming together? And it's like, no, like, you know, this person's working a regular job and they just happened to be good at the game and they became a pro. This person worked, uh, you know, from the business side coming from bigger industries, like traditional football teams or something like that. So you do get this kind of, how do sports broadly and business and, you know, esports and video games kind of all converge. And I think you get this really interesting combination of people. Um, so just being able to meet and interact with all these people who kind of share the common love of gaming and like what gaming can actually do, you know, for the broader, um, you know, broader public. Amazing. So what's kind of the future for OG esports and you in space? Yeah. I mean, OG, I think, you know, we've got some cool things coming in the new year, so I'm not going to spoil it. Um, but uh, there are some things that are, are popping up. So that'll be nice. So if you're following us, uh, it'll be pretty cool. I think uh, it's been a while, been a few months in the works to get these things done. So hopefully that gets a, a nice warm reception. Um, but I mean, for OG broadly, I mean, we're just going to look at keeping, you know, expanding to the right titles, I think is the biggest thing for us because um, we are small. And I think during the winter, um, as we're talking about before we started recording this, um, you know, a lot of teams are kind of scaling back and, you know, we think we have a good foothold to actually start scaling up. Um, you know, I think we've been pretty conservative with how we've been looking at our investments and our portfolio, but um, given that kind of discretion for the past couple of years, I think we have good angles to actually get ourselves involved more with, with different esports communities. So, you know, we're always looking for those opportunities and I think we found a few of them that we can get into for this year, which is really great. Um, but yeah, just looking to grow the, you know, grow the effort globally. I think for us, we've been primarily European and, we have a big fan base in Southeast Asia, but, um, you know, we want to look at other regions as well, China, Japan, North America, South America, et cetera. So definitely want to start pushing uh, OG to a global brand.
Mobile? I mean, you've mentioned a bunch of places that mobile seem like mobile we're a winner is, in. Look, you don't need this. I would love to be involved in, uh, in a couple of mobile titles, um, which shall remain nameless, but I think most people who know me know understand exactly which one I'm talking about. But, uh, um, I mean, it's a huge phenomenon, right? So uh, I think with our fan base and you know where we want to align, there's definitely a good argument to be in that. Um, and, of course, those titles kind of vary by country that you're in, but uh, you know, hopefully over the next year we'll start getting more in the, involved in that scene as well. Amazing. So, you know, I like to try to end each episode with my three questions. So what's your favorite game to watch? Ooh, favorite game to watch is Counter-Strike, hands down. Is the so, best spectator esport. So what's your favorite game to play? Favorite game to play? Whew, uh, that's a tough one. Because um, I have a love-hate, mostly hate relationship with League of Legends. Um, but I will say right now it's probably TFT. Okay. TFT is probably the one I've been playing a good amount of, trying to get back to Diamond. And who's your favorite video game character? Video game character. Ooh, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Mm. That is a tough one because I play mostly uh, mostly games where you're not looking at story-driven components. But if I had to dig back, let's just say um, I'd probably say Zeratul from StarCraft. Okay. Awesome. Big StarCraft guy, so I'm, I'm with you on all that. It's tough. Oh. I was debating saying Artanis. I do like Artanis in StarCraft too, but... Uh, Zara Tools and OG. Amazing. So thank you so much for joining us. This was amazing. So tell everybody where they can find you and learn about what OG is working on. Oh, God. Yeah. Where can you find me? I have a Twitter account, apparently. Or an X. Is it, what is it? Is it Twitter? Is it X? I don't even X know. It's Twitter anymore. to me. So, you it's know, Twitter it's going to be Twitter. Yeah. I mean, Twitter, you can follow me uh, at Schwartz Bruder. So my last name, B R U D E R. Uh, that's a Gundam reference for anyone who cares. Um, because I do love myself some anime. Uh, other than that, uh, you can probably grab me on LinkedIn at wherever my ad is on that. But uh, yeah, it's just Mike Schwartz there. So Amazing. So definitely reach out to him and check what OG is doing. It sounds like they're up to some amazing stuff. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q. Check our podcast for all our past episodes and YouTube for our videos.